Hello and welcome to the Back Nine Report. We go live every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and check in on the world of golf to bring you the latest news, insights, analysis, interviews, recaps, previews. Hey, we cover anything and everything golf. In other words, if it happened in golf, we have it for you. My name is Carlos Torres. Every week, I'm alongside my co-host, Fred Aldrader. Fred, hi, how are you this week? Carlos, we are great. Uh, we uh, made it over here to Albuquerque from uh, from Dallas today. Just a nice little nine and a half hour drive. About one and a half hours or two hours was through a heavy snowstorm uh, coming over the hills there uh, in New Mexico. Uh, that's not exactly what we were looking for in this 2020 winter golf tour, but we're looking forward to spending a couple days here in Albuquerque and taking in sights. We had a great time with you and your wife on Sunday in Dallas. I can't wait to get back there so we can go back to that hard eights barbecue. Man, that was really, really good. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the the big stories in golf this week, Carlos, Nick Taylor uh, beat Phil when he faltered at Pebble. Minji Lee's brother won the European Tour event. And we've got Tiger Golf this week in L.A. There's going to be a Tiger sighting. We have a loaded show for tonight. We're going to solve the PGA and the European Tours, World Golf Tour problems. We got that all figured out, and we're going to talk about that later. So let's get right to it. Let's go. Uh, we have a big proposal for both tours, and, uh, you know, we'll be charging just minimal fees. So here. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it was it was great uh, to be with you and your wife, and we'll talk a little bit about that in a, in our practice range because that's where we're going to be talking. Actually, we recorded that together, so but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but let's start with the weekend backswing, where every week we talk about what happened this past weekend on the major tours, and we're going to start with the PGA Tour, where Nick Taylor. He had to survive a windy back night there at Pebble Beach. I mean, you could see them, and their their shirts were moving all around. The wind was very nasty there in the back nine at Pebble Beach, and he won his second PGA Tour title. Nick was playing alongside Phil Mickelson in that final group with Lefty. He was attempting to defend his title and win the, PB, the Pebble Beach program for the sixth time. I mean, it's like Tiger at Torrey Pines. Phil at Pebble Beach, but Phil got within two shots after six holes, but then he came in and double bogey that eighth, then bogey ninth, uh, very uncharacteristically for Phil, a birdie at the team, get him back into it with Nick Taylor, then struggling, you can see that Nick was then there, like feeling the pressure of having Phil behind him, trying to get to it, and uh, Taylor then bogey the 11, the 12 then doubled the par 514, which Phil then also bogeyed, so it helped him a little bit there. Phil was within two at this point, but then Taylor did a magnificent chip in for Birdie. That essentially won him the tournament. That was his second hole out from off the green of the day after he did an eagle from the sand on the par 5-6. Taylor finished strong. I mean, he, from there on, he seemed to recapture himself, settle on, and did another birdie at the par 317, which is a very tough, very tough hole. I mean, you see uh, Pebble Beach, 13 is not easy to get there. And 
less than that to make a birdie. After his bogey of 14, then Phil dropped another at the 16. Eventually, his tobacco finished him in third behind Kevin Strillman. Taylor came home in two over, but, you know, his four under front nine helped him to that round of 70, a two under total. Jason Day was in fourth behind Taylor, Strillman, and Miggleson after a 75 plus three, which included just seven pars. And my Jordan Speed tracker, he shut the round of the day with a five under par 67. And that difficult day at Pebble Beach Golf Links to tie for ninth. And that moved him back into the top 50 in the world rankings. And now he qualifies for the WGC Mexico Championship in two weeks. Weekends really has been Spieth's nemesis. But he played those final 36 holes superbly at six under par. And uh, entering the AT&T, he was ranked 193 and 191 in third and fourth round uh, scoring average, respectively, which is worse than the performance he had the preceding season in 170 and 187. So he certainly seems to have put that in the rear view mirror at least for one week. We'll see how he keeps going. Uh, about Nick Taylor back, he had not tasted victory since he won his maiden victory at the Sanderson's Farms Championship that was back in November 2014. That was his only his fourth start on the PGA Tour after what was a glittering amateur career where he spent 20 weeks atop the world amateur golf rankings. Fred, conditions were really tough coming down the stretch. Winds were swirling around 20 miles per hour, but with this wind, uh, Taylor has now a two-year exemption on the PGA Tour, and he's up all the way to 101st in the world. Yeah, it was it was pretty breezy at Pebble on Sunday for sure. Uh, scores were up. Um, there was not too many scores in the 60s uh, for sure. Uh, Phil, you know, he got back to within a couple shots on Saturday. His his round on Saturday was unbelievable. His back nine. I don't know if he had two or three greens on the back nine on Saturday, but he made some incredible up and downs. His chipping game, I don't know it's ever been any better than it was on Saturday afternoon. Uh, he, I don't have words to explain it. He got it up and down from everywhere. Um, I was watching that, and I just it was totally unbelievable. And then on Sunday, on the back nine, really the whole round, he was, he was in pretty good shape until he made double and then bogey on eight and nine. That opened up the five-shot lead for Taylor, turning, turning on to ten. <clears throat> and they just still couldn't uh, overcome that. Plus, he didn't really play that well in the back again. And in that one hole, he, he, he airmailed the green, and it was behind the TV tower in a tree. And he lofted it up over the tree onto the green, it rolled down past the hole, onto the fringe, and then he holds a 20-foot putt uphill, uh, right to left, back up off the fringe. I, I just say far, it was unbelievable. So he put on a chipping clinic over the weekend. It was, it was uh, quite something to watch, really. Um, he had, ended up with a 74 on Sunday, dropped a third, as you mentioned, behind Kevin Strillman. Strillman posted rounds of 68-68 in the weekend, uh, which put him past uh, past Phil, 
and he was the only player in the field to post all four rounds in the 60s. With a third-place finish, Phil reached another milestone. I don't know if you saw this or not, Carlos, but uh, he has now had, with that third-place finish, he's had 30 consecutive seasons with at least one top-ten finish. Only Sam Snead and Raymond Floyd have accomplished that feat. That is, you have to have longevity in your career for one thing, but you have to have perform at a very high level to have at least one top 10 for 30 years. And, and you got, I mean, he's almost, he's like 50 years old, you know, he's going to be 50 before very long, what in June, I think. And he's still out there, you know, really competing, really contending on the regular tour. So, I like you know I'm not a big Phil fan, but you know what you got to give him credit for that. That's uh, that's really phenomenal. Uh, Jordan Spieth uh, finally made a cut, made a top ten, had the T9. Is he getting close? Are we going to see him win? I think Carlos. I think you know maybe maybe it's going to be time. Maybe Mexico. I don't know about Riviera, but maybe Mexico another week get just a little bit more confidence going. Jason Day. He's rounding back into form finally. He had solo fourth. Another strong week for Pallet Cantley. Man, he just outside the top ten with a T11. He just plays well every week. We had great weather, beautiful scenery at Pebble, uh, plus a ton of top athletes and uh, celebrities to make the AT&T National a top attraction on the PGA Tour. Uh, as we said, it was a little breezy with big scores. But, um, you know, there's always a lot of stories coming out of the AT&T National and the PGA Tour, but uh, Nick Taylor finally achieving the success that most golf pundits predicted for him when he turned professional 10 years ago. I mean, you know, this is a long time ago. I mean, he's 30-some years old. So sometimes it just takes guys a little longer to figure it out. Um, he came out on tour out of the University of Washington with the Ben Hogan Award and the Mark McCormick Award for Collegiate Excellence. Uh, was one of those can't-miss kids. But since earning his PGA Tour card in 2014, he has earned $6.5 million, but finished each, each season barely inside the top 20, 125 to keep his card. He did get a win at Sanderson Farms, uh, one of the wraparound season events in 2014. But that was his only top 10 that year. He missed 11 of 28 cuts for the year. Didn't make the Tour Championship with a win. So, Carlos, it just takes some guys a little bit longer. Taylor looked like a champion even when he started to falter on Sunday. He pulled it back together, got the win. Really good win for Nick Taylor. Very good win, and it was a really good tournament to watch. I know that on Sunday was a little hard with all that wind. But, hey, that's what Tory, <laughs> that's what Pebble Beach is, really unexpected weather for you all the time but hey let's move on now to what was the european tour and the lp and the ladies european tour basically lpga as well because they were playing down in australia a combined tournament between men and women that was the isbs hand of week open so we're going to start with the men which was sanctioned by the european tour and it was another is Yes, Handa Big Open Trophy that has found its way to the Lee Family Trophy case. But this time, 
it belongs to 21-year-old Ming Wu Li, who earned a breakthrough European Tour victory at this event in Victoria, Melbourne. You know, the, the unique Big Open features two tournaments basically running simultaneously on the same course for equal price money for men and women. But this means that Ming Wu, whose oldest sister Mingji was 23, was on hand to see Big Brother hoist the trophy. Mingji finished tied for six, two shots out of the playoff that he and Park uh, eventually won, but we'll talk about that soon. A five-time winner on the LPJ, Minji won the Big Open in 2014 and 2018, but it was time now for Min Wu, who just turned professional just over a year ago after a successful amateur golf career. Sunday's victory at 13th Beach Golf Links was a testing one, with the wind coming on strong in the final round, just like it did in Pebble Beach. That helped Min Wu, who closed with a four-under, which included three birdies in his first four holes, but then, plus then he had a closing birdie at number 18 to reach uh, the 19 under for the tournament. And about that, uh, that par, uh, par four, five, par five, which is really a par four, Min Woo Lee hit a 365-yard two-iron. I mean, he, this guy can hit up. He's leading the European Tour in driving distance, but that was I mean, players don't even need to hit driver to reach the 530-yard uh, plus 30-yard par 5 and 2, which during the tournament week at least, it essentially reduced to a medium-length par 4. But evidence of this was that third round where Bean Wu hit an incredible two iron around 365 yards to leave a mere 160 yards into the par 5 green. No wonder they want to reduce the ball. But anyway... That was good enough for him to leave him two shots ahead of New Zealander Ryan Fox, who had posted a final round of 64 that vaulted him six shots up the leaderboard. He ultimately had to settle for second. A three-way tie for third at 14-under included, included Robin Ciotigres, Marcus Frazier, and Travis Smythe. And Brett, this was Ming Wu's fourth European Tour start this season. His previous best finish came in December when he was uh, tied for third at the Australian PGA Championship. And for for him, it's just his 19th event on this tour. The sky's the limit for Ming Wu. Yeah, we've been talking about him now uh, for a while, and uh, he was a, a good amateur player. And so, um, you know, Min is a little bit ahead of him. She's a little bit older. She's got five LPG, LPGA Tour wins. Um, and she won this event twice before. So now with Min Woo's Lee, the, the Lee family has three trophies from the Vic Open, as you said. Um, so they were playing practice rounds together. So I'm sure that uh, Minji maybe gave him a couple tips on where he might want to hit it and where, what might want to do there on that golf course. Um, both from Australia, so it's kind of a home game for them. Um, yeah, I want to mention, too, you mentioned Ryan Fox uh, finishing second with the 64. Uh, he believes that that 64 on Sunday was the best round that he has ever played because of the high winds, um, and he picked up six shots on the leader. He had two eagles, four birdies. Uh, it might have been one of the best rounds that they'll the, – the, European tour will see all year because of the conditions that it was shot in. Uh, really, really impressive. So 
if he can use that kind of thing going forward, we may see Ryan Fox winning some more on the European Tour, too. So, um, Minwoo Lee now gets his first one European Tour. Now he's got, uh, now he's got uh, credentials. He's got his membership. He's good to go. He's got exemptions. Uh, games should get a lot easier for him, Carlos. Definitely. And the way that he hits that ball, I mean, he had a very successful amateur career, close to what Minji Lee was. So he definitely has the skills. And this is just a confidence builder. He was in the Australian uh, PGA Championship at uh, solo third. Now his win, I mean, he's just going and keep going up and up. So this is an up and coming name that we have to keep an eye on. Now on the ladies' side, you know, it wasn't long ago that He Young Park had to be convinced by her then newlywed husband, you have to stay in golf. I mean, she was faced with the task of eight daunting rounds of the Q Series for the PGA. 32-year-old Park was ready to call it a career. But here it is all right. I mean, Park's first victory on the LPGA in six years, six months, and 26 days. Park defeated fellow South Koreans He Young Choi and Soyeon Yu in a four-hole playoff at the ISBS Handavik Open for the women in Australia to claim her third LPGA title. Like I mentioned before, Min Jae Lee finished tied for six. She was two shots out of the playoff. Uh, a five-time winner on the LPGA, Min Jae Lee won back in 2014 and 2018. Couldn't do it this one. Park, Choi, and Yu finished his regulation play at eight under. And you, who is a former world number one, bowed out at the first playoff hole. Uh, Park and Choi birdied a par five, uh, 18 three consecutive times. But it was on the fourth trip down that Choi's tee shot found the trees, and she punched out into a hazard. Park two putted for par to secure the title, and that was her. You uh, pledged to donate half of her winnings from both <clears throat> the ISBS and the Vic Open and the ISBS and the Australian Women's Open, which is this week, to the brush fire relief efforts in Australia. In this one, for her share of second, she earned $90,049. Oh, well, Fred, uh, this, this is hard for me to report. Uh, I think I'm starting to feel some regret on my Rookie of the Year, year choice last week. <laughs> and that is because... <laughs> I know it's hard. Uh, Leona McGuire, you never miss these guys. You, you never miss them. You <laughs> finished tied for fourth. Leona, I, I'm so sorry. I can't take my pick back. I wish, but I can't. I'll be more than happy if you are the one to break my perfect pick record on the LPGA Rookie of the Year. I'll be rooting for you all year. You got you got me there. Uh, but, you know, I can't change it oh. Awesome, awesome, Leona. Keep going. <laughs> I don't mind if you're the one to break my, my perfect record. Anyway, <laughs> as, for, uh, as for Park, after getting married to Yu Yoon Yo, which is a K-pop music executive, you can say like like maybe JC there in South Korea. So Park's yo, game yo, took yo. <laughs> Park's <laughs> game took a nosedive as their priorities started to shift, but thanks to the prodding of Joe. Park signed up for the Q Series, where she finished second and embarked upon her 13th year on the LPGA. Fred, it looks like now she has that rookie year feeling all over again, and she really played really well there to win. 
Yeah, um, you know, things change. Your life changes. Situations change. Uh, she was a young lady. She'd been on tour. She traveled around the world. It probably got to be an old deal for her. And uh, when she's not winning and maybe some injuries pop up, and, you know, she was kind of ready to pack it in. But um, gave it one more go, and uh, it's turned out good. Now she's got a win, so it kind of sets up her year. If she does anything the rest of the year, she's, she's looking pretty good. Um, this was the um, – um, the Vic Open, the big thing is, you know, it's equal money, same money for both men and women. You got the men's tournament and the women's tournament having the same time on the same golf course, and they're paid the same money. Um, it's really a little bit less than the women are normally paid, uh, but uh, that's not the point here. It's an equal purse. So uh, it wasn't a strong field for the men, but, you know, um, uh, Min Wu got the, got the win. And he Young Park, it was a good field for the women. It was, it was not tremendous, but it was a good, good field. And so she got the win, and that sets her up. But the big deal here is uh, equal pay, men and women in the same tournament. Um, we've talked about that before. Pretty good deal, really. And uh, congratulations to both. Now let's move on to the Corn Ferry Tour, where Guillermo Mito Pereira of Chile made an eagle on the par 518 hole Sunday to close with a 7-under 64 and win the Country Club, the Bogota Championship, on the Horn Ferry Tour by two shots over Ben Coles, who is known to us here on the on the back night report. It was a big step forward, a PGA Tour card for Pereira, who tied last uh, for a third last week in Panama in his first Horn Ferry Tour start of the season. Pereira finished at 20 under. He moved to number two on the points list behind Davis Riley. Pereira improved, to, improved also 294 places in the official world golf ranking to number 678 after his T3 two weeks ago. And after the win, he's now number 320 in the world. He's the second highest placed Chilean in the globe behind Joaquin Neiman and also will certainly be in the, in the setting to test for a place in this summertime 60-male Olympic field. Fred Argentina's Fabian Gomez, who's 244 in the globe, presently holds the 60th place in the IGF positions with the official World Golf Rankings, ready to drastically change between now and that June 22nd cutoff. So all these international players, we're going to be looking at them and see how they uh, keep trying to improve that world ranking because, uh, like we've said before, it may not be that big of a deal in the U.S., maybe the England or some of the traditional golf countries, but internationally, the Olympics is the biggest thing they are. Yeah, Perea, it's, it's another one of those stories, Carlos. Um, he lost his uh, Corn Ferry status in 2018. Um, he went back home to Chile, uh, and then he compounded his problems with a dirt bike accident and suffered a broken collarbone. So he was away from golf for a time until he could heal up. When he came back, he played the Latino America Tour last year and uh, to find his game, and, uh, and, he, and he started playing a little bit better. So um, he's, he's out of Texas Tech. He played his college golf at Texas Tech in the U.S., and then, so he made 14 cuts out of 16 starts on Latino America, got back to the Corn Ferry Tour, 
uh, through the qualifying tournament final stage in December, and uh, boom, now he's a winner. So, um, you know, all that work, you know, sometimes you got to have that diversity. you got to kind of fall down and get to the bottom, and you say, okay, i got to put this other work in and then get it turned around. So, as you said, he had a third at Panama, and now he's got the win. He's looking good for his PGA Tour card for next year, Carlos. Very good, looking very good. He just needs a couple more good showings, and he will be there for sure on the top 25. And with that, we wrap up our weekend backspin where we tell you about what happened this past weekend. Now let's move on to the four call where every week we tell you, hey, these are the tournaments that you have to look for this weekend on in golf. And we're going to start with the PGA Tour, which really is the only big show this week as the European Tour takes a rest. And so we are very excited about the Genesis Invitational being played at that iconic Riviera Concert Club. Last season, J.B. Holmes won the event, and uh, he's back to defend his title. And got to say that this year, there is an outrageously strong field with the most of the top world's top ten in attendance. Roy McIlroy, Justin uh, Thomas, and John Ram are among the favorites. Tiger Woods is the host. Of course, he's one win away from beating Sam Snead's record of 82 to, uh, PGA Tour wins, but he's going to have to do something he has never done to do that, and it's because that's win at Riviera, where he has never won, and it would be one of the re- few remaining tournaments that he would most likely like to add to his role of victorious uh you know, it, it's going to be interesting. There's a lot of good players. Jason Day, which one thing I wanted to, I have a note here that I didn't talk about. And I wanted to not, to take your, get your take on it, Fred, uh, when we were recapping uh, Pebble Beach. And it was that during the press conference, Jason Day, and uh, I bring it up because he's going to be here as well. He finished fourth at Pebble Beach uh, for what was his best finish on the PGA Tour since June. But we know that he has had a torrid time with injuries since he reached the world number one spot in 2015, particularly his back. He's also seen his uh, his mom being ill. Uh, I mean, his back was so bad last year. He even considered retiring at the age of 32. He revealed it in the press conference there uh, that he said, you know, I think I'm nearly done here. He said that he considered, he said, if I can push it, until I w- I'm 35, I think that should be more than enough. So, Fred, I want your take on Jason Day, because this is something that not only happened to him, but maybe because he was a former number one, we expected him to to go and, you know, be a dominant figure, but really injuries haven't been helping him. Also, his back. This reminds me a lot of another former star's potential that, even though he became a good star, but he could have been even more like Freddie Couples, I would say. Uh, you know, Jason Day, tremendous talent, but <clears throat> you got to remember, too, Jason Day started playing in the United States when he was like, what, 17 years old or 18 years old? I mean, he was really, really young when he, uh, when he qualified and joined the PGA Tour. Uh, and he played at a very high level for 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 a long time. So uh, he's been out there beating it around and, and 
it takes a toll on the body, as we, as we talked about before. The other thing, you know, uh, Jason's had a problem with his shoulder. He's tr- had trouble with his back. He had trouble with vertigo at the, uh, you know, at the U.S. Open out there at Chambers Bay that time. Remember, he could not even walk. He fell down. Uh, he had it so bad. So he's had a lot of different things happen, and he's got a really good life. Um, you know, he's a member at Muirfield Village. Uh, his wife's family is in Ohio. They live there in New Albany outside of Columbus. Um, you know, he's got great kids, and I think he, he seems like he's very happy to be at home. So to be out there beating it around, you know, playing against these young kids, um, and when you're not healthy and you can't play at the level that you know you can, it's very frustrating. So I know it's got to be tough for him, but, uh, yeah, I, I, I think if he could have – if we could see some success from Jason again, if he could get back to winning or, you know, posting top tens again, competing in majors, uh, and not have the back issues that we've seen him have. I mean, we've seen him hit a shot and go right to his knees. I mean, it put him right on the ground because his back volume is so bad. So um, if he could get away from some of that and uh, get back to playing halfway decent, I'm sure it would be fun for him again. But when you're not playing well and the injuries are there and it hurts, no fun, Carlos. Definitely it's not. And what's your take on the field here at Riviera this week? Well, what do you expect? well, this is by far the best tournament of the season so far. Um, you know, what's not to like? You've got Tiger Woods as the host. You're at Riviera in Los Angeles. You're probably going to have good weather. It's a fantastic golf course. You've got all the celebrities and all the glitz of L.A. going around there. You've got um, – Nine of the top ten in the world. Pebble Beach only had six. Pebble Beach only, uh, uh, that whole big field, okay, well, 156 golfers or whatever, they only had six of the top 30 in the world, okay? And the Genesis has nine of the top ten. So this, this has a field. They got 19 of the top 25. Uh, that's, I mean, majors sometimes don't have that kind of field, right? Um, this has the feel of a major championship, really, with with the people there. You got Tiger, you got Brooks Kepka, Rory, John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, uh, J.B. Holmes, who's last year winner, and he's kind of an also, you know, throw in. Um, but this is this is good stuff. Nine point three million dollar tournament, so it's not just a, you know, they're paying a good purse. Um, and uh, I don't know, Carlos, I, you know, I, you can also throw in names like uh, Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley, uh, Bubba, Phil's going to be there. Um, I mean, it's just not missing anything. It's, it's got it all. So uh, I'm looking forward to – I'm going to try and watch some of this because this could be uh, – I'm going to try and watch it on Thursday and Friday, see who makes the cut, see who's playing well. Uh, this, uh, this could be a very good week. For the, to watch the PGA Tour. I'm, I'm excited to watch golf this week. I haven't been excited uh, that much so far this year, Carlos. Definitely the best field so far that we have seen uh, in this year. So there's a lot to like to watch this weekend. Uh, it's starting to get warm, <laughs> the PGA Tour and the European Tour as well. So uh, from now on, it's on. Now let's move on to the LPGA Tour. 
that stays down under this week, heading to the Suburban Adelaide and the ISBS Henda Women's Australian Open. Uh, that will be played at the Royal Adelaide Golf Club. The, there's a star-studded field there. I mean, defending champion Nelly Corda uh, and former Rolex rankings number one player Simbi Park, who said, "I'm not ready to retire, so everybody better get ready." So Yun Yu and last week's ISBS Henda Big Open champion He Young Park, as well as Australian favorites Carrie Webb, Min Jae Lee, Hannah Green, who's been playing really good last year. Uh, Nelly Corda took a two-stroke victory over the 2018 champion Jin Young-ko and uh, added a fourth Corda uh, scissor kick to the family tradition. If you might remember, Corda's uh, father, Petter, won the 1998 Australian Open Tennis Tournament. Her older sister, Jessica, won the 2012 edition of this tournament, and her younger brother, Sebastian, won the 2018 Australian Open Junior Tennis Tournament, so she had to win something down there. So, Fred, how about this tournament down there and down under uh, for the LPGA? A very good uh, field down down under. Well, Royal Adelaide, a really great golf course. So you want to watch, you want to you want to see some of it just so you can see the golf course. Uh, Australian Sandbelt Golf Course is great, great stuff. Nelly Corda, of course, the defending champion. Uh, Aussie Women's Open. I mean, it's almost like a major. Uh, it's always a good tournament. A lot of the ladies like to go down there and start their year in Australia. Uh, they like going there. It's, it's, a, it's a great event. Um, you've got uh, Jessica's also in the field, Jessica Corda. Um, you've got a lot of the women have pledged money to the recovery fund for the wildfire, wildfires that have killed so many animals in Australia. Um, you know, and as far as Jessica and Nellie Corda, you know, their father, uh, Peter, won the Australian Open tennis. And, you know, their brother won the uh, junior uh, Aussie Open, right? So um, this is, uh, you know, this is a big tournament uh, on the LPJ Tour to kind of get the season going. They had a, a couple of events in Florida. Um, you know, one was a celebrity thing, and the other one just kind of was a new event. But this is kind of historically where the – the LPGA really gets going is in Australia and, and the Women's Aussie Open, Carlos. Let's talk about now the Champions Tour, where they will have the first full event of the season, and that is the Chop Classic in Naples, Florida. And the defending champ, golf's most interesting man, Miguel Angel Jimenez, is leading the Charles Schwab Cup standings. Hey, but it's just two events, so. But let's give him props. He's doing it. He won the season open at the Mitsubishi Electric Championship at Wallalai, finished T24 at the Morocco Championships. And, you know, the Chop Classic is one of the oldest tournaments on the tour. It's the fifth oldest. He's going to be making his 33rd year edition right now. And Shop Limited stands as the longest title sponsor at 23 years. Jimenez won last year in a playoff over Bernhard Langer and Olin Brown at the Classics at Lili Resort. Past champions include Freddie Copples twice, Bernhard Langer three times, Hale Irwin twice. Gary Player won the first playing of this event back in 1988. There are some notables that are going to be making their PGA Tour Champions debut, like Team Lumpy Heron, who turned 50 in February, February 6th. 
along with Robert Carlson, who won 11 times on the European Tour, and Song Chai Jai Di, 13-time winner on the Asian, Asian Tour. So they're joining the PGA Tour champions, and uh, it's including some very respectable players to come up and challenge all of those stars already there. How about that, Fred? Well, a couple things. First of all, you told me you didn't have that much prepared for the four call, and you went right down through all my notes, and you kicked them off one by one by one. So you, you got that thing covered, okay? Number two, uh, Tong Chai Jai Di, I'm telling you, this guy is going to win a bunch on the Champions Tour because he is fit. Hold on. He's hold on. A February 11, Fred is saying yep. Tong yep. Chai Jai Di, I'm writing, is going to win okay. a bunch on the Champions Tour. Yep. Tour. Okay, got he it. is. Got it. He has been he's been a great player for a long, long time. You put him on these little shorter golf courses like the Champions Tour plays because he's still long enough to to compete on the regular tour with the European guys a little bit. He can't quite win like he used to, but on the on the regular tours. But you put him with these senior guys on these shorter golf courses, and I'm telling you what, he's going to start winning. I, I look for him to win at least two times this year. Maybe even a major. I'm not sure about that, but uh, I think he's going to be a real force going forward on the uh, Champions Tour. I think he will. Uh, he was going to give uh, uh, Langer a run for his money there. I think a little bit. And the third thing is, Carlos, they're down in Naples, Florida this week, and my wife's sitting right here listening to us on the show tonight. And I know she just told me a little bit ago we should be in Naples instead of Albuquerque because it's warm and sunny down there instead of snowy and cold. So. Um, my, our heart is in Naples right now, Carlos. All right, all right. Hey, and finally, the Corn Ferry Tours Central American Swing concluded last week in Bogota, but this week the Corn Ferry Tour goes back to the U.S. for the first time uh, this decade, and that's because we're just a month and a half, and they haven't played there. But it's the second that comes Suncoast Classic contested at Lakewood National Golf Course outside Sarasota, Florida. So, I mean, we're still at the beginning of this uh, Horn Ferry Tour. There's a lot of people still starting to play, uh, all a lot of moving pieces, uh, a lot of players still going there. Davis Riley is the leader. Mito Pereira is second. Uh, our very well-known Ben Coles has been playing really, really well. Uh, what do you think about the Corn Ferry Tour, the Lecombe? A Suncoast Classic. This is kind of interesting this week. Uh, they're, they're back to the United States uh, after a couple of weeks in Central and South America. Um, this has some interesting names in it, Carlos. Um, you've got uh, former fully exempt PGA Tour members. Um, we Kim, Robert Garrigus, who's won a couple times. David Lingworth has won. Um, you've got uh, Tyron Van Aswagen, who has played well. And then you've got a couple older guys that are still hanging around trying to get ready for the Champions Tour. You've got Mike Weir and Robert Allenby are playing this week. And then a couple guys that we know um, that uh, Scott Gosheski we had on Back Night Report back when he first started. Remember that, Carlos? Uh, he was playing the, uh, the web.com back then. Uh, but he's in the field. He's still playing a little bit. Uh, you've got... Um, uh, Stephen Bowditch, 
uh, Richard Johnson, who's, who's played well on tour, and Derek Lamley. And then you got, because the Genesis is, is an invitational, guys that aren't eligible, that, that didn't make the invitational to the Genesis, some guys can play and bounce down the Corn Ferry Tour. So listen to these names. you got Jamie Lovemark, D.A. Points, Nicholas Lindemann, Sean Stefani, Peter Uline. Peter Uline playing on a, a KFT Tour event. Ryan Blom and Johnson Wagner. So there's some really good names. I, I, I got a feeling we could call one of these names as a winner next week uh, for this thing, Carlos, on the, uh, on the Corn Ferry Tour. You know all those, all those names. Wow! I mean, it it's starting to look like one of those uh, wraparound season uh, yeah. tour PGA Tour tournaments, really. Because if you think about it, there's a lot of the lower tier uh, players from the PGA Tour there. So it seems like it's going to be a very interesting challenge for the real Corn Ferry Tour players. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, uh, I want to watch in Riviera. I mean, for Tiger Woods getting that 83 at Riviera, it would be really meaningful. Uh, Phil Mickelson, my God, he's playing so good, and he's entering his fifth straight start. Man, he's playing great. I mean, at that age, playing so consistency and, and consistent, I mean, it's really tough. But it's going to be a, a, a full weekend of action good fields everywhere. Uh, I think that we are in for a good first big weekend in golf. Fred, any final words before you talk to us about the win? Yeah, you talked about Phil playing five weeks in a row, plus one of those weeks was over in Saudi Arabia, so he did some traveling between there, too. And I, I meant to mention uh, Tiger has never played well at Riviera. Uh, you know, he started, this was the first place he played on uh, on a PGA Tour event, right? I think what he was like 15 years old, and he's, he missed the cut the first couple times as a teenager, but he's just never really played well at Riviera, which is surprising because he's such a great iron player, and Riviera demands great iron play. So um, I, I look for him to do okay this week. I don't know if he's going to win or not, but uh, if it's warm, I think he'll do okay. Um, Carlos, uh, talk just a minute about Boyne. Uh, it is cold and snowy uh, right now at Boyne Resort, but they're offering hot deals for summer golf on their 10 golf courses, all by top-name designers. They have a golf course that's going to suit any player. Visit their website, check out the Champions Golf Package or their Unlimited Golf Package. Both provide for great golf. And, of course, you can dine in any of the restaurants, take a lesson from the Boyne Academy, or soothe those achy muscles in any of the three spas at the three Boyne locations. Start your golf season off in luxury with a stay at the Inn at Bay Harbor, 18 holes of golf, plus the Bay Harbor Golf Course, which the Lynx course is there. That nine holes is fabulous. And breakfast for two each day. Don't forget, Boyne has three spas, multitude of outdoor activities besides golf. So take the family along. Let them have some good times. Call 855-813-2109. That's 855-813-2109. Or... Visit boyne.com forward slash golf. That's B-O-Y-N-E dot com forward slash golf. Tell them back and I report. Sent you. Carlos, back to you. 
All right. With that, we move on now to the Par 5 News for every week. We tell you five pieces of news which are worth mentioning, and we take you in some spin that we might give it. Let's start talking about something that we already mentioned last week was going to happen. Now it became official. Rory McIlroy has returned to the top of the official world golf rankings for the first time in over 1,600 days. I gotta make it, you know, dramatic. That's why I said 1600 days. <laughs> so anyway, Roy was last world number one on the 13th of September, 2015. Still almost four years. Spends his 96th week and eighth spell at the top. That's partially because Brooks Kepska's inactivity due to injury, and you can't take it away. I mean, Roy's great play. With Rory winning twice since Kepke's last victory to close that gap. So Rory got back to the top without even playing due to his divisor dropping last week because he played in the Pebble Beach program two years ago. But Kepke's divisor stayed the same. So with Rory's divisor dropping, his average point start per start increases, giving him that lead. It has been really a slow but steady rise to the top for Rory when the 2017 ranked 11th in the 2018 ranked 8th. So his four win 2019, which featured 19 top teams from 25 starts, really has propelled him back up to second. But Brooke Kevskis reigned in at 47 weeks, having been ranked for number one for the last 38 consecutive weeks. One thing noted is that Rory has spent 95 weeks as the world number one he needs just three more at the top, and he would overtake Nick Faldo's total of 97. If he manages that, he will become the third most successful golfer in the official World Golf Ranking history in terms of time spent at world's number one. But good luck after that, because as it stands, Tiger Woods is number one at 683. <laughs> almost seven times that at the top with the, of the rankings with Greg Norman in second at 331 weeks, which almost three times and a half. So anyway, Dustin Jones is now just behind Rory at 91 weeks spent at the top. Fred Rory will make his second start of this year at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera where Tiger Woods and Greg Skepka will also be playing. But congratulations to Rory. Uh, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I can ex- we can all expect, and I think we can agree, he will be for now, very soon, the third most prolific uh, number one player in the world. I don't think he'll get to Greg Norman, but he definitely is going to be there a little while more. Yeah, to catch Norman, so he's got like a hundred weeks. Norman has three thirty-three, so you know he needs another uh, two hundred. Um, and, and 30, uh, which is what about uh, four, another four years. So, um, four years you know, and a half, five years. <laughs> yeah, almost five years. Yeah. So, uh, it's going to be tough for him, but with the competition there is today, it's going to be tough. Uh, but it's hard to believe that it's been nearly four years since he was number one. I mean, he's such a great player, but you know, that just gives us another thing to watch this week, right? Uh, at the Genesis, so, you know, how Rory finishes compared to Brooks Kepka because Brooks could jump right back around him this week if he, you know, beats him by, uh, by several places. 
you know, we keep trying to create that rivalry between Kepka and McElroy. Maybe maybe they're going to do it themselves just by bouncing back and forth. Uh, one thing, too, uh, Rory was kind of surprising. He committed to the Texas Open this week, ahead of the, the, a week ahead of the Masters. Um, maybe he's trying to not think too much about Augusta, maybe relieve some of the pressure, uh, you know, and play his way in, make it just another stop rather than one major he doesn't own and wants desperately. So um, Rory, number one stats, uh, you know, wins in the last 24 months, unbelievable. Uh, most consistent year of, of his most consistent year of his career last year with top tens and wins. He had, you know, what, four wins, and they were big. The players, the RBC Canadian, the Tour Championship, and then the FedEx Cup, and then the HSBC Champions last November. Um, so he just he is so much more consistent today. He's putting much better. His iron play is much better. He's keeping his driver on the golf course. And when he's got his driver right, there is just nobody any better. So um, I don't know that we'll see Rory stay at the top right now for a long time. Maybe we will. Maybe this is just the start of him really blitzing the year, adding one or two majors and saying, hey, Brooks Kepka, don't forget about me. Maybe I haven't won since 2014, the majors since 2014, but I can still do it, and now's the time. So maybe this gets him going. Carlos, who knows? You know, one thing I'm uh, I'm a little worried. He's strong. He's healthy. But Every time we've seen somebody reach number one and then start playing a lot of tournaments, and I see him, like you mentioned already, that he committed to the Valero Texas Open, uh, but he's going to be playing in the Riviera this week. He will then head to Mexico City for the WGC Mexico Championship, and that's going to be before a very busy March in that preparation for the Masters. I mean, his March will begin at the Hill at the API, He won it back in 2018 before the Players' Championship. Then the following week where he's going to be playing, he's the defending champion. He will then play in the WGC match play, which he won in 2015, after a week off to round out the month. But instead of taking a week off before Augusta like he usually does, he will be doing that tune-up at Valero Texas Open. All this, of course, according to his official website. So he'll be playing in the event for just the second time in his career. Last time he finished uh, runner-up in 2013. That comes a week before the Masters, where, of course, he'll be aiming to try to win that career, a Grand Slam. And post-Masters, he has also committed so far to the Irish Open, which he missed last year. But, yeah, I see it as a, yeah, he's going to be in great shape uh, playing shape going to the Masters, but I'm starting to worry if he's going to overcommit because now we have this compact schedule. Everything is very, very uh, compact, and all the action is back-to-back, basically. So, uh, I mean, do you would you worry about Rory playing too much uh, golf, or it's just this time that he's trying to do this so far ahead of the Masters? He took a couple months off at the end of the year, so that was a really good thing. And uh, I think he did chill from what I could see. He didn't, I, I don't think he played hardly at all. So he probably is eager and ready to get back out there. And the second thing, Carlos, is I wonder, I'm really surprised that he added the Texas Open. So I wonder, you know, a couple years ago, he was a, uh, he was a tournament short, remember, to keep his card. 
Um, and um, I wonder if this is part of the deal. This is maybe one of those tournaments that he had to say, hey, I'll play someplace that I haven't played um, to make up. And, and I just wonder if this is one of those deals where he said, okay, I'll, this is one of those things that, you know, I, I'll forgive me for, you know, not playing enough a couple of years ago, and I'll go here and make that it's one of those deals where he, he, he di- he's doing that. So I just wonder about that. Okay, and we'll certainly keep an eye on him. Now he's the number one in the world. He's the one with the target on his back. Fred, there have been more opinions coming on the distance report. Uh, Tell us all about it. Well, Jack likes it. Phil's not so sure. Brandel Chambly says the problem's only in the pro game. We're talking about the distance report that the USGA and the RNA came out with last week that we went through, we talked a little bit about. Dustin Johnson, he's got the best answer of all. Dustin says, well, it was way too long to even read. I can't, I can't handle that. Um, social media, it's a mixed bag. Um, both sides are vehement in their arguments. There seems to be no middle ground. Um, Jeff Shackelford has some survey stuff on his website um, that compares over time and distances and all these kind of things. Um, the PGA Tours, Jay Monahan, said the tour is committed to working with the USGA and the RNA to find solutions, but he didn't actively endorse the report or its findings. So let's make sh- understand here the PGA Tour adheres to USGA and the RNA rules. They let them be the rules-making bodies, and so far they have gone along with all of what they say. This might be an instance where the PGA Tour breaks away from the USGA. If they go change the ball or change the equipment, um, they're in the entertainment. The PGA Tour is in the entertainment business. People want to see those long drives. They want to see guys busting out there 360 yards. So uh, I don't know if they will go along with the RNA uh, and the USGA if they start restricting the ball. Um, You know, (laughs) I gave up golf because I hit it too far and the game was too easy. Said no one ever. You know, don't take my long drive away from me. Don't take my Titleist Pro V1 that flies off the club and gives me an extra 10 yards. No, I'm not giving those up. I want to keep those. Um, that's what every golfer is out there saying. Amateurs want to hit it farther like the professionals. They they want to play those same golf courses. They want to say, Phil hit it here. I can hit it there even though they can't, but they want to think they can, and they're going to spend the money to do it. So the equipment companies, the ball companies, I just can't think they're going to go down without a fight on this thing. Um, And we know the USGA and the RNA are going to come out with more stuff down the road. They're going to get more concrete stuff. This report was just kind of a general thing and uh, really was a lot of hooey, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but uh, I think they're going to still want to change something. They, they want to roll this distance back for the top amateurs and for the professionals. So um, I just can't imagine the everyday player wanting to give up his long driver or his uh, super ball that he was fitted for and jumps off his golf club. So 
Uh, Carlos, we have not heard the last of this. We're going to keep talking about it. I know you just love the subject, um, but um, it, there's no clear, it, no clear sides yet. Everybody's either on one side or the other. There's no real middle ground with this thing, and um, it's just going to be a continuing argument. And even when they come out with what they're going to do, people are just going to go crazy. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I thoroughly think the PGA Tour will find, will will not break away from this. They have to follow up. I mean, the pressure is going to be so big; they're just going to have to do it. And the problem is that the players are split on this point. And one word that I know you hate a lot to hear was brought in today. Uh, during the press conference uh, and the Genesis Invitational by Tiger Woods. And that word is bifurcation. I mean, he doesn't... Carlos, we just lost you. You went off, so I don't know if you can hear me or not, uh, but we lost you, um, so you need to uh, to get back in there, and you got dropped. Um, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna skip over the next one. And uh, I'm going to go to the uh, coronavirus uh, is affecting golf tournaments around the world uh, right now. Um, let me uh, make sure I'm going to send a quick note to Carlos to make sure he knows to, uh, to get back on. So bear with me for one second. Um, hopefully he should know by now. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the coronavirus. Uh, this thing is all over the news, anything you pick up right now. But it's also affecting golf. Uh, the RNA just canceled the Women's Asia Pacific Championship in Thailand. It was going to be held in Thailand. Uh, the PGA Tour had to move the PGA Tour's China qualifier from China to Indonesia. And the LPGA announced that they're canceling a couple events. So um, the RNA, as I say, announced last Saturday that it postponed the Women's Amateur Asia Pacific uh, over concerns of the continued spread of the coronavirus. Uh, the event was set to be played February 12th through the 15th at Siam Country Club in Thailand. The LPGA canceled two events uh, due to the continued health concerns. Um, they are the uh, Honda LPGA in Thailand which was scheduled for next week, and then also the uh, HSBC Women's World Championship, which was scheduled for uh, the end of February, beginning of March in Singapore. And uh, so they said, you know, it's always difficult to uh, cancel events. They really uh, hated to cancel out these Asia events, but uh, just felt it was in the best interest uh, for everyone to do so. Um, also, the uh, mentioned the PGA Tour uh, in response to the coronavirus that has developed uh, in China. They had to move a qualifying tournament from Haiku, China to Indonesia, uh, which is just outside of Singapore. Um, so uh, even the PGA Tour China series is being affected with a qualifier. Sounds like Carlos is back. Um, you're back? I am. Okay. I am. Um, I got dropped. I don't know where I where I ended, but anyway. Yeah. Hey, 
you are you you were talking about we were back talking about the distance report, and uh, you were just really kind of getting started. So if you got some points that you want to make on that, go ahead. Um, and then I yeah, what I did I'll was I skipped I skipped and... Okay. No, I'll make it quick. I mean, it's it's uh, it was a long thing that I was saying, but anyway, uh, <laughs> I'll make it quick. I'll make it quick, really, because I've talked a lot about this. But of course, I'm on the other side that you are on this part, and uh, just like the players, this is split. I don't see it as a majority when one way of the other. So far, uh, after seeing the survey that came up, I mean, there's the ones. Of course, the long haters don't wanna don't want it reduced. The other ones do, but uh, <clears throat> I, I just wanted to bring out a, a, a topic on it that it came today, and it was Tiger on his press conference. He talked about a word that you don't like to be talked about, and that is bifurcation. And uh, he's, he, you have to see it from his side right now. He sees it both as a competitor and, of course, designer. Of course, if there is talking about distance, it started with Tiger Woods when he was killing all the different uh, courses and they had to be enhanced, lengthened, so he could not be having that advantage. If you see it from that part, that is what's happening right now. It's the same thing. So he sees it with multiple courses already open. He has several more currently in development. He's viewing that strain that increased distance gains have put on on course architecture that is an important one. He said he talked about that. And, of course, he doesn't see bifurcation being a reality anytime soon. But he says it's on the table right now. And I see and I totally think the PGA Tour is not going to break away from that. They just have to take their part right now because they have to wait for the end of this report to be finalized. And that's why they're being political about it. Because if they were not going to go that route, they would have said right now, thank, thank you so far for that, but we're going to keep our ways, and we're not going to do anything. But they have to keep, they cannot tip their hands so far. Both tours, big tours are going to have to go where the RNA and the USGA is going to go. If they're going to cut down the, the, the distance, they are going to go with it. They can't. The pressure is going to be just enormous from all sides. That was just what I, in a, in a summary, what I would say. <laughs> sure. Well, I what I did was I did not talk about the uh, Saudi chief, uh, the, the uh, Saudi Arabia. I jumped over and jumped on the uh, coronavirus and talked about okay. the, uh, the, the RNA and the LPGA and the PGA Tour China. Uh, right. So if you want to back up and then cover uh, Saudi Arabia. Sure, sure. I mean, after the second Saudi International ended last Sunday, and with the latest European event taking place next month, there's new projects already that are being lined up uh, in the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. They have already expressed an interest in hosting a PGA Tour event in the future, which uh, a lead figure in the golf in the country said on Monday that the Kingdom could announce a second European Tour stop very soon. I mean, South is fast emerging as a significant player in the sport. They have the money. <laughs> so with the second South International uh, European Tour event concluding uh, last Sunday in, in King Abdullah Economic City, uh, the KAEC, just north of Jeddah, 
uh, Graham McDowell was the champion. Next month, the LET will stage a tournament there for the first time. That's going to be the Saudi Ladies Championship. So, Majid Al Sodor, who's the <clears throat> the chief executive officer for the Saudi Golf Federation and Golf Saudi, was discussing the kingdom's ambitious plans for the game, which includes more high-profile events and the construction of up to 13 golf courses. He was asked initially about bringing an Asian Tour event to Saudi, and then he said that they had the CEO of the Asian Tour, Shoming Thant, there, and they were going to sit down together to have you know, something planned out on that. He also said there was communication with the European Tour to have a second tournament. He said, and you know, I cannot really announce it yet, but I think we'll have another one announced very soon. Uh, yeah, if he's saying that, it's just they're finalizing the, 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 the contracts. I think that's a done deal. But then he also mentioned that they would love to have a PGA Tour event because one and a half years ago, he sat down with Ty Volta, who is the PGA Tour Executive Vice President, and apparently, hey, they had a great conversation and having an idea of putting a PGA Tour event there in Saudi Arabia. So this is going in line with the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's Vision 2030. Gulf Saudi has committed to five key developmental pillars. From there is access and infrastructure, events, national team and academies, mass participation, and tourism. They are aiming to have 13,000 to 27,000 registered golfers in the kingdom within the next decade. Al-Sarul also said that while they have aspirations of staking more professional golfs in Saudi, they really need the infrastructure to be in place to host them. So he admitted to that. But then they asked him about a possible co uh, collaboration with the Minator, and uh, that's the UAE-founded developmental tour. And he said, hey, you know, they haven't really thought about it very much, but uh, I think we should really think about it. <laughs> I don't know. That was a little confusing to me. Uh, I, we haven't, but I think we have to. They were approached by executives of the Mina Tour, but it wasn't at Golf Saudi, but at the Royal Greens as an idea to do it together with them. But then he came and said the Royal Greens have come back to them. That they don't mind is just the timing. So yeah, there was a little contradicting things, but I, Fred, the bottom line is they do have the money. They really want to do it. And I I, I don't think that that would be too far-fetched of seeing Saudi Arabia all of a sudden becoming a mecca for golf in the Middle East. Yeah, uh, you know, it's if you got the money, they will come, right? Um, I really have a hard time seeing a PGA Tour event in Saudi Arabia. I, I just, I have a real, I just don't see that happening. I see maybe a really big European Tour event. Um, you know, I mean, they have the one now, the Saudi International. I see that gaining stature as it goes on and maybe even becoming a, a really big purse, like, let's say, like the Players' Championship in the United States. Maybe it could be Europe's uh, Players' Championship or something um, and maybe draw some Americans to go over and play like they've been doing, you know, paying a big appearance fee to get some, some of the top guys over there. But I just don't see a PGA Tour event going in there. I know money talks and you know what walks, but uh, 
Um, I don't know. That would really surprise me if the PGA Tour went into Saudi Arabia. I'm really more curious to see the uh, Ladies European Tour in there uh, for a country that, um, you know, kind of uh, doesn't allow too many women's rights to allow the Ladies European Tour to uh, dress the way they uh, dress and be involved in sports uh, in that male-dominated society, um, I think that's going to raise some real eyebrows around, not just in Saudi Arabia, but around the other um, countries, the Muslim countries around Saudi Arabia. So, um, you know, with Mecca in that country, um, I, that could be seen as a, you know, a real sacrilege over there. So, um, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff going on there, Carlos. I know they want to do this stuff and they got the money to do it. Uh, but all this stuff sounds pretty ambitious to me. Maybe they can pull it off. We'll see. I'm I'm surprised we're two years into that big Saudi international and the guys that have gone over there and played it that have gone. So um, maybe it'll happen. We'll see. You know, time heals old wounds. And uh, we've seen worse things being changed opinions change so i don't i would not rule out this happening we'll know we'll see uh it depends really on how this ladies european tour tournament is going to go that's because right now like he said of course the let has basically merged somehow with uh have a co-venture with the LPGA. So, you know, Michael Wan is going to be taking a look at it. So it's We're going to see how it goes this first. Uh, I'm very, very curious at how the ladies European tour event, the ladies, the Saudi ladies international is going to be played and how is it going to go? Because that is going to be a long way towards what the PGA tour is going to be doing in the future. But anyway, for To wrap it up, five top women amateurs will be competing in an LPGA Tourist Major, the ANA, instead of the ANWA. What what happened there? Well, you've got uh, five female amateurs were given exemptions into the ANA Championship, the ANA Inspiration, which is the first major championship of the year on any tour and is an LPGA Tour Major. So it's a real feather in the amateur's crown to play in that big of an event. Um, on the other hand, you've got the Augusta National Women's Amateur, which, you know, plays at the, uh, you know, at the one club, and then they play the practice round on Friday and the final on Saturday at the uh, Augusta National. So if you were a top lady player, you'd get to play at Augusta National. So you've got to weigh both of them to see which one's better. Um, anyhow, you've got uh, five young ladies, Northern Ireland's Olivia Mahaffey, who plays at Arizona State. Uh, Caitlin Papp, who is a junior at Texas. Uh, Gabriel Ruffles from Australia, which is one of the top players. Um, she won the U.S. Women's Amateur last year. Uh, you've got Angela Yi from China, who is playing at Stanford. She won the U.S. Girls Junior last year. And then also Rose Zhang, who is the top-ranked junior and winner of the 2018 A&E Junior Inspiration. So, uh, and then they're also going to give uh, one more spot to the winner of this year's Junior A&A, which will be held April 2 through 5. 
So, um, there, uh, there, you know, there's, if you're a young woman amateur and you're one of the top women in the, in the country, in the world, you have, you know, you get invited to the NA. It's, it's, a, it's a tremendous honor, a tremendous invite. You get invited to the uh, Augusta National Women's Amateur. Again, tremendous tournament. It's unfortunate that both of these are on the same time. Um, they've got to get this figured out. Either the LPGA has got to change the ANA. Uh, I don't see Augusta changing because uh, their, their timing is it's the week before the Masters. It leads right into the drive, chip, and putt, which leads right into the Masters, those two weeks, which kind of wraps up their season at Augusta. They only, they only open until like April the 20th or something, and they close for the summer. So I don't see them changing any of that. Um, it would be great if the ANWA, the, the Augusta National Women's, were maybe the week after, um, after the Masters that next weekend. But uh, I, they don't seem to be too excited about doing that at this point. So um, you got five top ladies playing in the top women amateurs playing in the ANA. The rest of them, the other thirty, playing in Augusta, Carlos. Yeah, that yeah, that's unfortunate because instead of you know getting their minds together and thinking for the benefit of the amateur women, man, why do they have to collide of this? I they have to leave the pride and things aside and say, hey, let's do this for the better of the game and think better about rescheduling everything. Like you, I don't expect the Masters uh, Augusta National to change anything, but hey. Maybe the LPGA can do something and move uh, and do a competition for the amateur women, maybe in another major. I don't know, maybe the, the U.S. Women's Open. Uh, it doesn't have to be the ANA. With that, we wrap up no, that's our Par 5 news. Yeah, I mean, they have yeah, other no, majors right. that they can do that. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, what? No, so, you're right. Anyway, I that, haven't we, thought about that, but that's, uh, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So with that, we wrap up our Par 5 News, and now we're going to have a co-VIG and practice range. <laughs> so our, <laughs> our our practice range topic every week, Fred and I pick a topic, and each one of us take, a, take our own shots at it. This week, we're going to expand a little more on our talk last week where we mentioned about the World Golf, Golf Tour and a proposal that we have for both major tours to do. Uh, like Fred mentioned, and uh, if you want to watch it, uh, this is going to be also you know, brought uh, in video because Fred and I, for the first time ever in over nine years and almost eight doing the show, we have never sit down side by side in the same place. Yeah, we're not together right now. I am in Texas, Plano, Texas. He's in New Mexico, but usually he's in Toledo, Ohio. So through the magic of the internet, phones, videos, we have been able to do all this. So, yeah, I a lot of people have said to us, it's impossible what you're doing, <laughs> that you do a, a show for so long and do it like you were there. I mean, there, there's impossible to do, but no, we we made it possible. And uh, it was an incredible time. And Fred, I mean, spending time with you and your wife, me and my wife, uh, 
it felt like, man, I wanted to do it again. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> wow, I want to get together with you tomorrow again. Let's let's go do it. <laughs> That's how it was. But anyway, yeah, I, I thank was... you for taking time and stopping here. And we had an amazing time together. We always have every Tuesday anyways. And we talk on and off during the week, the rest of the week. So, uh, I mean, an incredible time. And, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Absolutely. Uh, Got to do that. And uh, so while we were together, we taped, uh, we videotaped a couple things. And uh, they'll be playing on uh, Back on Report TV sometime in the next uh, week or 10 days or something like that. But uh, I took, I stripped off the audio from our discussion about the world tour uh, that you had proposed and, um, and put it together. And so we're going to play it tonight uh, that gives it a little bit more structure and it was nice that we were both in the same place so we could just talk into one microphone and, and uh, get this stuff out there. So, Carlos, go ahead. Let's play it. Last week on the Back Nine Report, we were talking about the Premier Golf League. They want to just have the 48 top pros from the world involved in these 18 tournaments, uh, paying big purses. So one of the things, the, the PGA Tour has kind of taken some preemptive measures they raised the Tour Championship, the, the FedEx Cup last year, to $15 million. Rory put $15 million in his pocket last year. And now they've announced they raised the Players' Championship to a $15 million purse. And so the winner is going to get like $2.27 million. That's one of the biggest checks ever in pro golf. They're taking preemptive measures against this Premier Golf League. Uh, Carlos brought up an interesting point as we were, as we were debating this last week. And you came up with an 18-tournament schedule that could be like a world tour and embody the current European tour and the PGA Tour. Right. It's about combining the 10 most important tournaments from the PGA Tour. The European Tour already has the Rolex Series, which is eight tournaments. Then you go to the three FedEx Cup tournaments from the, from the PGA Tour and add those classic tournaments like the API for Arnold Palmer. You cannot leave it out. The Memorial Tournament, which is Jack's tournament. The Players' Championship is already a big tournament. You have to add at least three more to make it ten from them. So you you could add the Farmers' Insurance to keep it there in California as well. The Genesis, because Tiger is involved with it, so that's another big tournament that you can add. And you have to have that international flavor, which is already brought by the eight Rolex Series events from the uh, European Tour. But if you add the market from South Korea, which we already have with the PGA Tour, for the CJ Cup and Japan, which is the other big market on the Asian, that is already filled up by the Sozo Championship. So that makes it 18 tournaments. And then adding in the Tour Championship, the three playoff events. Correct, which would be the last three for the FedEx Cup. So that makes 18 in total. And you have the, ma- the, the major championships, which will bring in players also, of course, from yeah, the PGA Tour and the European Tour. They will st- stay standalone. And all the other tournaments remain on the European Tour, and the PGA Tour will remain for the other players that are not making that 48, which is the number that has been thrown around by the PGL. And it sounds good. I mean, 48, you can have 24 pairings going out every time. With that, you leave the WGCs as the big tournament for those other two tournaments, for those other two tours. But what you do is maybe the top 30 remains safe for the next year, 
So you incentivize the players from the European Tour and the PGA Tour. The last 16 will have to, to qualify again for next year. So you make the top eight from here and the top eight from the European Tour, bring them like to a qualifying tournament and see how they're going to bring. Because, of course, from the 48 that you have, those should be invited to the top 48 players, but some of them might fell off the rankings during the season. And, of course, there's, uh, you have to handle how the schedule will be because what the PGL is trying to make is make them commit to all 18. So when you add the, 20, the, the four majors, that's 22 tournaments, which for people like Tiger, he's not going to 22 times. Mickelson, not 22 times. So there's going to be players that you have to have maybe alternates to come in and play and fill that 48-player 48, 48 field. So you're going to have to have some alternate players and make sure that – because if you leave the other players out, how are you going to incentivize them to come into the World Tour? Yeah. So that that would be a way to keep them there. And then, of course, those other minor tours that are behind, like the Corn Ferry Tour, the PG Tour Latin America, the McKenzie Tour, and now the PGA Tour China on the European Tour is a challenge. Those would be the feeder tours for yeah. them. This has great possibility. I really think this has a lot of merit. Number one, a couple points here. Tournaments like the Memorial, like the Arnold Palmer, they're starting to suffer a little bit from a field standpoint. Because of the compressed schedule, guys are picking and choosing their weeks to take off. And Jack's tournament, the Memorial, is always two weeks before the U.S. Open, so that's a logical time maybe to take off and get ready for the U.S. Open. Since the death of Arnold Palmer, the field quality has really dropped down there because now with the Players' Championship in March, it really affects guys wanting to play two or three weeks in a row. So you got Mexico in there and the players, and Arnold Palmer is a great place to take off now. So that would give incentive to play in those events. It would bring big names to those events. The second part of this is by having 48 or 50 or whatever number you set, you're getting the top names, and so you're guaranteeing the sponsors a lot of eyeballs. So you're upping the purse, but... The sponsors are going to like it because they're going to get a lot of play. They're going to be seen on TV. And at a, like now at the Arnold Palmer, they've got to be struggling for sponsorship because their numbers are going down because the field isn't there. So those are two very big positives, I would think, for the PGA Tour. And then the European Tour has got to be big for them because it's, it's going to help them with even their eight Rolex Series events, give them quality fields, and they're going to get some of the top American names instead of just the top European names. Right, the the sponsors will fly in because they know that they have the top the top players, like you're saying. So they're going to have the TV time. The players are going to be there because they're committed. So you know that they're going to be there. Uh, it's going to be easier for them to raise the purses of those 18 tournaments to at least 10 million very easily. It's, and also, the players will be more willing to commit because it's only 48. It's a no, no cut tournament, so they know. All of them are going to get paid at that point. Everybody's going to get some piece of the pie. Uh, the other thing, the other point would be also a question that I got asked is how would the Ryder Cup survive with that? Uh, same thing. Exactly. The tournaments will still remain available for ranking. So the top players, yeah, I think this is just the way to go. They already sent emails, both Keith Pelly and Jay Monahan, to their to their players, hey, you can't. We're not going to give you the, the information because any player that has to play in, that wants to play in another circuit or another league, they have to get the permission of their own circuit. So Jay Monahan and Keith Pelly has already said, no, we're not going to grant you that. So the best way, like you're saying, to squash that possibility, 
get together. I know that Keith Pelly is a master by businessman, and he knows how to do those kinds of promotions and get. It. He's done an excellent job already with the European tour. Unfortunately, they don't have the money or the eyeballs, but all the ideas that he has has brought on have been very innovative. If him and Jay Monahan can get together and see that they can just give what the players want, which really would enhance also the eyeballs outside of the of the U.S. and outside of Europe by creating this world tour, it really will enhance that purpose of trying to grow the game. It's going international. I think it should happen. Well, Jay and uh, Keith, if you're listening, you want to probably take a look at Carlos. A great job on doing that, and uh, thanks for discussion. And- So there you have it. That was the conversation that we had this past Sunday uh, here in Texas when Fred and I uh, got together. Um, I mean, I I don't think there's much more that we can add to that other than uh, hopefully we know something's going to change. Hopefully it would be something like that where both tours get together and finally we get that that world tour uh, that has been thought about ever since we know that Greg Norman first brought it up. But now that the PGO is putting some pressure on, like Rory McIlroy, I still don't think they're going to flock to the PGL. There's a lot of going on behind the scenes, <clears throat> a lot of commitments already to their own tours, but at least some change is going to come. Hopefully it would be something close to this. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I think they're going to have to use I, I'm, I go back. I mean, I remember when Greg Norman proposed the world tour back in the mid eighties. And, um, you know, the thing that killed that was that Arnold Palmer stood up in the meeting that they had and said, um, I play the PGA tour. I'm committed to that and walk out of the room. And so, uh, pretty much everybody else followed after, after Arnold left, it, it just kind of fell through. But from that, the PGA tour and the European tour developed the world golf championships. Um, they were meant for, you know, to travel around the world and, and create big top-name fields in no-cut events. Well, they have no-cut events, but there's really only one that gets played, I guess, now with, uh, since Doral is played now at, uh, in Mexico. There's two played outside the country, one in Mexico and one in China. Um, but, um, and then Memphis. Uh, so it, it's, it's, you know, it's just, they just never quite, uh, lived up to what they what they were trying to get out of them, but this could be a real opportunity to create an elite tour. Um, I, I just I see it's all positives. I don't I just don't see any negatives with this thing. It would really help the European tour. I think it would energize the PGA tour as well, the top guys, and give them something else to shoot for. Um, so. Uh, you know, we're at a point, you know, the, the, the Tour Championship, the FedEx Cup has been around for a while now, and um, I, I think they're ready for something new, and this this might be it, Carlos. It might be. It might be. We'll see. Definitely, this is not the last that we've heard of this. Things are going to continue to progress. As long as the PGL is there, there'll be talks about what's going to happen next. And definitely... If it's something like what we have talked, we hope that, you know, Jay and, um, and Keith Pelly can talk to us. We can talk to them and get it all sorted out. But anyway, with that, we'll wrap up our BIG and practice range segment and move on to our final parts where 
I'm going to talk about Ernie Els. Uh, he will be a one-and-done President's Cup captain. He told the Morning Read last Thursday that he will decline any further captaincy positions. He had said it to his uh, players on that Sunday night of their loss where they, the U.S. side rallied on the singles to overcome that two-point deficit. But he mulled that decision numerous times in the next month or so. Even he met with the PGA Tour Commissioner, Jay Monahan, in early January. So I have to say that the, that international team under Ernie made huge strides in an event that had been lopsided since its inception. Uh, but he expects that work that he has done to be built on by future captains. The 2021 President Cup captains are expected to be announced during the Florida Swing in March at either the Arnold Palmer Invitational or the Players' Championship. Elsa's assistants were, uh, last year were K.J. Choi, Jeff Ogilvie, Trevor Immelman, and Mike Weir. It's likely that one of those guys will get the nod, the nod for next year's matches at Quail Hollow. But one thing is certain, it won't be Ernie. He's done captaining, with one exception, Fred. He said, you know, if the cop ever goes to South Africa, and I'm not too old, I would like to be considered for that one. That's the only exception. So, anyway, Ernie did an amazing job uh, in what was to be, supposedly to be, a runaway victory by the U.S. So, uh, hopefully, we can see more of that work being built on by the future captains. Yeah, Ernie did do a great job, and it's unfortunate they lost, but uh, it was it was a really great event. Um, Colt Ford, you know, he's a, he's a name we knew from playing golf. Uh, his mama called him Jason Ferris Brown, but that's not how everybody knows him by. Everybody knows him as Colt Ford, uh, who gave up his uh, pro golf career and became a country singer and a country writer. Um, he, uh, he has a true passion for music, and, and he followed that. He has charted a few songs himself and written other big songs for other big names. So it just kind of shows you that golfers can do other stuff besides just play professional golf, Carlos. Um, the East-West Amateur is finally set a date. Uh, they're going to play in November 2020 at the Meridot Golf Club near Dallas, uh, right there in your backyard, so maybe you can go over there. Um, it's going to be a Ryder Cup-style competition for mid-ams, a couple seniors. Uh, they're also going to have a couple um, uh, under mid-am age. They're going to have a couple regular top amateurs on the teams as well. So that will just be between, like, it's west of the Mississippi and east of the Mississippi. So it gives the top ams, mid-ams, and ams one more event to uh, play in. So, um, you can read more about that in Global Golf Post, as a matter of fact, from last week. So, Carlos, that pretty much wraps it up for me. The uh, new Ohio Golf Journal, the uh, February edition, will be distributed tomorrow morning. So look for that in your email inbox. It's loaded with great golf news travel. Uh, we got This is a driver review issue. We've got Ed Travis uh, reviews uh, six drivers in there. So if you're looking at buying a new driver, you want to, Look at Ohio Golf Journal, the February issue, and check that out. Uh, we're also uh, posting some new video to Backdown Report TV over the next week or so. Uh, so look for that on Roku as well as at BackdownReport.com. And uh, don't miss the Genesis Championship this week. Tigers in the field as well as 19 of the top 25 players in the world should be big. Carlos, back to you. 
Well, Back Niners, that wraps up another week of the Back Nine Report. Thank you for listening. It's always our pleasure to bring you the latest on the world of golf. Don't forget to join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time here in Block Talk Radio. But if you missed it, check it out on iTunes or tune in. Also on Roku TV. If you haven't done so, follow the show on Twitter. Our ID is at Back Nine Report with the number nine in the middle. My name is Carlos Torres, along with Fred Alvader. We wish you to be happy, be blessed, and enjoy the great game of golf. Happy golfing, everybody. Good night, everybody.